And that's the reason we were able to do so much and do it together because one plus one didn't equal two. One plus one equaled 10. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how's it going? I'm doing really good, but I am doing especially good today because I sent my kids off to a summer camp. And um, it's the first time that they've left the house without me um, for the last three months. Um, They got out of school on March 13th, and today is the 15th, so it's been a little over three months. And I cannot tell you the happy dance that I was doing, and I'm doing it right now. I was (laughs) on our meeting earlier today because as a mama, I just felt like everything has fallen into place today with the kids back in, you know, some kind of of environment where they're socializing with some friends. Um, it is an all outdoor camp the whole day. They're just hiking through the Marin headlands. And so it's not mm-hmm. so much of like being indoors and whatnot, but, uh, you know, it was just such a good feeling to know that they were outside and, and just having some freedom to run and play and, uh, yeah, yeah super excited. Oh my gosh. Play. Happy mama, <laughs> happy kids. I bet. Right. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. you know, we talk all the time at Good Egg Investments about how, you know, create all this passive income and wealth for your family so you can spend more time with your kids, which is great, but we also have to have time for us as we're finding out that part is super important for just mental health, for mindset, for all, for all of that balance that we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. The balance I feel like is the, is the thing that, um, you know, for the first month or so it was great. And then, and then it was like, it never, it wasn't ending. (laughs) I just needed that time and space away and I couldn't get it. It was very, very difficult as I'm sure a lot of the listeners can identify with. So Right. Oh my gosh. Well, I am jealous of your happy dance. My older son was in (laughs) camp last week, but he's home the rest of the summer. So we're figuring things out. But anyway, I want to get to today's episode where such a powerful episode. Um, In this episode, we sat down with Stephen Pesavento, host of the Investor Mindset podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. so often when people get into real estate investing, they focus on on the strategy side of things. Mm-hmm. They focus on, okay, yeah. what's the terminology I need to learn? How many deals do I need to underwrite? How do, mm-hmm. how do I talk with a broker? How do I fill out the lender paperwork? Mm-hmm. They focus on the strategy and mm-hmm. that's where so many people get caught up because strategy is only such a small part of it and a much bigger part of it is that mindset piece which yes. Stephen talks so much about in this conversation. Yes. And with all of the experiences that he has over 200 flips that he's done over the last couple of years, that wasn't even the highlight of the conversation. And I feel like the value add in this conversation was so much around mindset. And I'm just going to say it because it was the best part. He kept referring to, he said this thing, he said it a couple of times, find someone else's belief to borrow find somebody else's belief to borrow. And if, it is so powerful if you really think about what he's saying. He's saying, go read a book, go listen to a podcast, go listen to Tony Robbins on YouTube or whatever and borrow his beliefs about what is true in the world. And it'll amaze you what you'll be able to do with, with everything that you want to do in real estate investing or otherwise, even in your personal life. And um, we dive into so much more. That was just a little nugget that uh, I, I wrote down, highlighted, underlined, and we'll put it up on my vision board. I'm super excited about that because I think it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I mean, it's, it goes back to that whole fake it till you make it. And that's right. You know, mindset is such a hard thing to quantify, but Mm -hmm. as Julie and I can attest to, you know, once you really focus on doing that hard mindset work, it serves you in every aspect of your life, mm-hmm. from your family, to your personal life, to your business, um, to our partnership, everything. Mm-hmm. And yep. so for everyone out there, definitely um, listen in. This is so much good value in this conversation. Here it is, our episode with Stephen Pesavento. 
Hey, Stephen. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing phenomenal. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. So glad to hear that. This is going to be an excellent conversation. Can't wait to dive in. Uh, Now, Stephen, I know you have a ton of experience in real estate investing. You've flipped hundreds of homes within just your first few years in investing in real estate. And I know you're not afraid to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty, and you've already seen such massive success. So to get us started, take us back to those early days. Take us back to the beginning. Um, What led you to get into real estate in the first place? And what were you looking for? Yeah, such a good question. And knowing what you're looking for is key to finding success and finding it quickly. And so when I got into real estate, you know, I, I, the real estate bug bit me early. I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad at 17, but I didn't take action on owning my first property until nearly a decade later right? I went down this path and I had all these limiting beliefs, these things that were holding me back that I kept thinking, well, hey, I don't have enough experience or I don't have enough money or I don't know the right people or I'm not from the right family or, you know, what would make me think that I can go and do this? And so no matter how many times I made offers on houses and other things, uh, it just didn't happen. I didn't follow through all the way to completion. Um, But when I finally made that decision, that was the key point that changed everything was that I decided wholeheartedly that I was going into real estate and I was going to do it big. And so um, when I made that decision, you know, I jumped in with both feet. I cut off all of their options and I went, you know, deep into the flipping and wholesaling side of real estate. And ironically, as I dove in and I had made that decision, I realized that I had actually been investing in real estate for a few years before I was doing Airbnb as I was making great cash flow. I was using Airbnb as a tool to fund my then startup and lifestyle um, and, you know, leaving my house for a week or two out of the month, going and traveling or staying with other people and using that to be able to fund uh, my business at the time. But once I finally dove in, I had to make sure that I could find some great people to learn from. So I immediately went, started going to a lot of networking events, a lot of meetups, connecting and finding mentorship. And that's really the reason why I was able to grow from never doing a deal, never owning a property to having flipped or wholesaled over 75 properties my first year, over half of those being either new construction projects or full-blown renovations. And, you know, we continue to that growth, you know, all the way up until now. Wow, that is quite a journey. But I want to I want to go back just for a second. Um, humor me for a second. So you read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? And then you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm I'm going to go all in on this real estate thing. But there's something in your head holding you back, right? So you so tell us about like early on. You said some things were holding you back. You didn't follow those deals all the way through. What were some of those hiccups that got in the way? Well, I think even more so than me, I, I was yet to be at the point of saying I'm going all in. At that point, when I was 17, my dad had given me this book. I read that book and ironically, I re-gave him the same book back for Christmas and said, you need to take action on this. You should re-listen to this or reread it, and, uh, which is kind of ironic. But the interesting thing is that you know, it took many years of planting these ideas uh, in my head to believe that it was possible for, mm-hmm. you know, a guy like me or a kid like me at the time to go and live that kind of a life. You know, I grew up, grew up with two amazing parents, single mom who was, you know, working in restaurants and now owns a bar, you know, doing that kind of work. And my dad, who is a salesperson and was, has been working at the same company for his, almost his whole life. And so I grew up where money wasn't, wasn't prevalent. There was always this feeling of lack. And so what's interesting about that was it took many years of installing these new beliefs, of reading these books, of hearing and listening and connecting with other people who are doing great things for me to start to realize that, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. And it was, you know, after years of spending time around startup entrepreneurs in the tech space and seeing how people are able to create something from nothing that I realized that it was possible for me to do that myself. And then eventually when I got into real estate, I realized that, oh, well, I can do those things as well. And so it was at that point when I I kind of cleared out a lot of that mental junk to realize that, okay, 
there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety about what could go wrong. But if I take a little bit of time and figure out what could go right, how this could work out, and I look at what's the upside versus the potential downside, it made absolutely no sense for me not to go all in and jump in with both feet because it would be very easy for me to get back to that point of back into management consulting or the corporate world that I was working in before. And mind you, every time I took a new job, I doubled my salary from the second I graduated college to um, you know, the second that I went full-time into real estate. And so each of those leaps, I kept moving farther and farther up. And so when I left that space, I thought to myself, well, even if I have to take a step back for a little bit, I know that, they're the, that the skills that I have are needed and they're valuable and I can go back and get back in that. So it made it a no-brainer for me to jump in and you know, take the risk and go after the reward. During that time, was there, it seems like you went through quite a journey um, from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then all the way through going full in on real estate. During that time, were there any, because I know that a lot of our listeners are struggling with this as well, sort of having those mental hurdles, not necessarily money or not necessarily time, but just having some sort of mental block. But was there anything during that time, any exercises, any events, any classes, any books, podcasts that you maybe listened to or found that really um, made a huge difference for you? Absolutely. And I think podcasts are a great way to really take those thoughts and beliefs of others and install them into your own thinking. So I run a podcast called The Investor Mindset, where we focus on both the mindset and the strategies that have led some of the most successful people um, to their success. You know, greats like Chris Voss, Joe Fairless, you know, the author of The Go-Giver, uh, Jay Papazan, many others in between. And what I found was, and what I found earlier on, which I'm going to get to your original question in a second here, what I found was that there is certain things and certain ways of thinking that successful people all hold true. Right. And so when we can listen to podcasts, we can listen to these books, we can start installing those thoughts into our head. And the more open that we are and the more uh, ability that we have to understand ourselves where we are today, the quicker this process can happen. But for me, some of those leaders that I was looking to was Tim Ferriss, you know, Tony Robbins, um, and many others. And so I was listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast when that first came out. And I was spending a lot of time listening to these deep conversations and understanding how do these people think. And I dove in to uh, Tony Robbins' program called Personal Power 2, highly recommend it, came out probably in the 80s or 90s, and it is still as relevant today. And I can tell you that because I've gone through it many, many times, uh, typically about once a year. And every time I go through this process um, and through this program, it, I end up coming out the other side, shutting down a lot of things that I'm focused on and getting really narrowly focused. And so at the time when I first went through this, I was working on a startup. Um, it was early stage. We were finding a lot of traction. We were pre-funding and we had a lot of money that was interested, but we didn't want to accept it until we had our business model fully wrapped because we didn't want to give up equity too early and we didn't want to um, have investors that we needed to deliver returns when we weren't exactly competent exactly what direction we were going to go. And thank goodness that we didn't because after going through this exercise, I had this realization that I was developing an on-demand storage company where we had like an Amazon-like interface. You could deliver all of your stuff back to your house. You've probably heard of companies like Boxbee and Makespace that are really big in the Bay Area and New York. Well, we were working on the same idea right around the same time. And so what's interesting about that was we realized that from a values perspective, we weren't in alignment. We were chasing the money. And so after I went through this process, and the process essentially is sitting down and getting really, really clear on what it is that you want, and then getting clear on why you want it. And we all hear about you know, getting clear on your why, and for a lot of us, our whys are you know, very, very specific. But the, the key point here is if you know what you want, and you've got that little emotional driver of the why, it can be really clear for you to make decisions on whether you should do things or you shouldn't. So after getting clear on my what and what I was hoping to accomplish and why I was actually participating in this, uh, this company, I realized that I was going after it for the significance. I was going after it because I was the head and founder of a, a company and it was a great idea and it had a big market cap and a lot of opportunity, but we weren't 
align from a values perspective. So we ended up deciding to sell off all the assets, shutting down the company. And at the time it felt like a failure, but it felt like a win to me because I was clear on what it was that I was looking to accomplish. And it made that decision much easier for me to step outside of the ego and the emotion of the moment and step into what was actually going to be best for me. And so your listeners can do that by simply just sitting down and asking yourself, what do you want? But getting really, really clear on exactly what that looks like um, so that you can actually go and figure out a plan to get there uh, on the back end. Interesting. So I'm curious, if you know that significance was the thing that you were after, how did you go after that? I mean, I'm assuming that feeling didn't go away. So how did you go after that? And maybe was it tied to real estate? Have you found that in real estate? Or what did you do with that feeling of that's, that's what you wanted? Well, it's kind of like when I was working in management consulting. Uh, for many of your listeners, maybe you're working in some kind of job where the title is prestigious, but maybe some of the work you're doing isn't what you love as much. And it was the same in that role as well. I, I actually was really, really good at what I was doing and I was phenomenal at process improvement. And I loved the name and I love telling people I'm a management consultant. That's what every business person wants or to aspire to be. It's a prestigious job. But I realized that outside of the name, I didn't actually love what we were doing or the environment. And so for me, what I realized at the core of what was missing was actually community and being able to be surrounded by other people who are growth focused. So for me, mm -hmm. significance is still a player. Anybody who's going to go build a thought leadership platform is looking for a little bit of that in some way, shape or form. We all have these six human needs that Tony Robbins talks about and mm -hmm. are pretty common. But um, for me, growth is such a big one. And being able to surround myself with people who are growth-minded who are looking to continue to better themselves, I realize now looking back, right, we can't put the pieces together looking forward necessarily. But when I moved from management consulting into tech, that's what drew me in. It was that, it was that group of people who believed that life could be whatever it was that you wanted to create. And what mm -hmm. I find is very true in real estate is that that is almost a universal across the board that people are motivated. They believe they can create good things. And that's one of the reasons why it was very interesting and motivating for me to expand into the commercial side of the business and away from the uh, single family side, because the clients that I had been serving on the single family side were people who were going through a tough time. We're buying their house at 60 cents on the dollar and it was a one-time mm -hmm. sale. There's no mm -hmm. long-term relationship. These folks don't give a, a, a hoot about personal development. They probably think the kind of things that I think are amazing are crazy. So mm -hmm. what I'm getting to is just realizing what it is that you want and what that environment feels like. And if you get that clear picture and vision, you can start to find where you actually fit and where you're going to thrive the best at. It's so interesting because when I fell into real estate four years ago, I feel like it was so much of the same for me. And I had looked for the same sense of community and the same sense of, um, you know, surrounding myself with people who were just as eager as I was to, you know, succeed and who were just as eager as I was to help also. And when I came across uh, real estate, it was like, oh, it was just like, I felt like I had found my people, you know, because everyone in real estate is always so giving. You guys ever notice that? Like people always want to help so each other, you know, in all the Facebook groups, I feel like everybody's like, oh yeah, why don't you try this? And it's like that one thing that you read that just like changes your whole like, you know, trajectory or direction you were wanting to go. And everybody's so nice and like willing to give and, um, you know, definitely has that, that sense of community. So I, I love that. And I love how you took that desire for significance and you moved it over in and you sort of changed it all around. It was no longer about titles and, and that kind of thing, but it was just about, um, you know, the people that you are helping. And I feel like that's so much of what we do too. Um, and the reason why we do it and I, makes me feel so amazing. I feel so grateful every day that I get to wake up and, um, you know, contribute to real estate investors and uh, feel like I'm making an impact in uh, some small form or another. And so I love that. That's so cool. It's so true. I mean, you can develop significance by having a title or being at the front of the room, or you can uh, develop significance by helping a lot of people, by making a, a change, making a difference by contribution. So you can actually just reposition something. Um, there's nothing wrong with significance, but if you're doing it for the wrong reasons or in the wrong way, you know, it can definitely be looked at from a perspective that it can hold you back. But if you can figure out, well, how can I reposition this to really help me? And it could be a heck of a driver because when you create a mission that you're going to go, you know, inspire others to inspire others to live a better life, then mm -hmm. 
every single opportunity you have to share that message becomes exciting. And any significance you get out of helping those people every time you get that message that says, man, you changed my life. Thank you so much for introducing this to me. Thank you for inspiring me and to be confident to invest with you or on their own. Um, it fills me up inside and mm-hmm. I would have never expected that it could much, much more than some of the titles or those other things that, that, you know, used to in the past. Absolutely. Yep. hundred percent. Um, I don't know, Annie, are we ready to kind of switch gears or did you have some other questions you want to ask? Cause I want to dig sure. into the yeah, flipping and the wholesaling. It. Um, it's a, it's an area of real estate investing that I feel like has always, um, uh, you know, been something that's kind of elusive out of my reach. Um, flipping to me when I first discovered all of this bigger pockets and whatnot, and I kind of dove in head first and was trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do in real estate? Um, and I think flipping is the most popular popular one that most people know about and see on HGTV and whatnot. Um, but it always seems so risky. I, whenever I think about flipping, um, I always think, Ooh, risk and a lot of work. Um, and so, but you've seemed to have managed to figure out uh, a system and a strategy. I mean, at this point, how many houses have you flipped now at this point? Yeah. So we've done over 200 deals and oh gosh, a, a little bit crazy. more than half of those have been like full-blown hardcore renovations or new construction type projects. Okay. So how in the world, I want to know, how did you, what did your first flip look like and how did you gain comfort around that first flip and, and getting out there and saying, okay, I'm going to take on this risk. Did you have partners? How did you put the deal together? Tell us a little bit about that first deal. And the reason I'm asking is because I think for so many people, it's doing that first deal. We hear about this all the time in our world in real estate. It's always about that first deal and um, we just love to kind of dig in on that and, you know, learn more because I think if more people can, you know, understand maybe how you got to your first deal and, you know, did the mistakes you learned and whatnot, I think it can help a lot of people who are listening who may be considering getting into flipping. So tell us about that one. Yeah, I think everything goes back to knowing what it is that you want and why you want it. So if you if th- that's bringing you down this path towards, hey, I want to go flip real estate, one of the good benefits of going after appreciation, which is flipping real estate, is mm-hmm. that it is a short-term uh, deal. It's a short-term project, meaning you're able to go full cycle much faster and mm-hmm. you're typically making chunks of money, right? So if your goal is to make chunks of money and make them in shorter succession for you to be mm-hmm. able to invest long-term, then that can be a great option. What can happen though, and what definitely happened to me is you end up getting sucked into the machine that you build because part of that strategy to get there is to do more and to do more in order to have mm-hmm. the economies of scale that really are necessary to be able to do this out of state. And mind you, I'm based out of Denver, Colorado. When mm-hmm. I started, I was living in Southern California, but I have never owned a house in Southern California. I've never flipped a house in Southern California. I flipped in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Raleigh, North Carolina. So nearly the opposite side of the country. And uh, the, the deal is that you really have to be working with really, really smart people. So right off the bat, my very first event I went to, I went and sought out somebody. I had planned this out. I had made a pitch to them and I had traded something that I had, the ability to build phenomenal websites to have them allow me to shadow them for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. The offer was so clear. I was building this woman a $15,000 website to have the ability to follow her around before I could even finish. Uh, Her hand was out and she was like, heck yeah, let's do this. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to learn a lot very quickly by being able to shadow somebody. And then uh, that gave me the ability to be able to talk the talk and show people that I was making progress right? People want to invest with and they want to partner with, they want to work with people who are quickly progressing in a direction. So oftentimes you go to these real estate investor events and meetups, you guys, all the listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that person who's been there for five years and they've still never done a deal. Mm -hmm. Well, when this is your fourth event and you've made 90 offers on on properties on the MLS and you're not full of BS, right? You actually did it and people can hear it because they know the things that you have to know when you're making those offers. People want to work with you. So I ended up partnering with somebody who had 15 uh, plus years in the, the business. They had mm-hmm. built hundreds of houses. They had flipped hundreds of houses and they were moving out to North Carolina. And mm-hmm. so I was able to bring some skills that they didn't have, knowledge of technology, knowledge of how to go out and market, the ability to hustle and willingness to do the dirty work uh, that mm-hmm. they weren't interested in to essentially build this 
machine that would get us, you know, five to 10 deals per month. This person was flipping one or two houses, you know, every few months. And once we had the machine up and running, we were doing, you know, five to 10 houses a month. No kidding. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to bring my skills to the table to partner with an experienced operator that was really, really good at what they were doing. And they were in their lane and I was in mine. And that's the reason we're able to do so much and do it together because one plus one didn't equal two, one plus one equaled 10. And Mm -hmm. so it made a big difference. And that's essentially the same thing that I've done uh, moving into the syndication world is taking those skills that you're really good at, find out what your unique ability is, and then go find some other folks who really need that. I love that. That's so central to Annie and I's story. And um, I heard it on a podcast once, like four years ago, and they said, you know, if you find somebody whose strengths offset your weaknesses and vice versa, that together or how many of our partners there were, you know, that together you guys would be this like super, superhuman thing, partnership, you know? And I remember ever since I heard that, it was always something that I had looked for. And so when I met Annie, it was, um, you know, crystal clear the moment that she said, what you like doing that and and you know, like that's Our crazy I hate doing that yeah. <laughs> it was like the heavens opened up from above and I was just like oh man this is it because it was just like perfectly like a puzzle came together and um, so I love that and I love how you you led with how, with thinking about that because I think every time we talk with our coaching members I'm always encouraging them to think about what their strengths are and think about what their weaknesses are and lead with that lead with that when they're they're always telling me, well, I want to find a partner, Julie. I want to find a partner, but I don't know how to find one. And I'm like, well, hold on. Let's. It's not just about jumping out there and handing out your card and telling people, you know, this is what I do, and and call me if you want to maybe partner on something. It's about leading with what am I good at. How can I help you, right? We always talk about this. It's like put the put the towel over your arm and put your hand behind your back and it's about how do I serve, right? How can I serve you? And in the partnership world, if you really want to go from where you are to all the way over here, think about how you can serve somebody in their life and help them uh, and they'll bring you along for the ride as well if um, you know, you're serving a need. Absolutely. I mean, look at that first relationship that lasted, you know, a good 3 to 6 months. I went to that person with value. I didn't ask first. I offered first and I brought value to something that they really, really needed. And so Mm -hmm. it was a clear win. And so what I would go to everyone in the audience is to think for yourself, what is it that you're really, really good at? Like for me, Mm -hmm. the kind of person that I'm looking for and what I often will ask in, in an interview right before this, right before I got on, I was talking to somebody else and I asked him this question. I said, Hey, who do you know who is a very experienced operator or very, very good at operations and numbers. Maybe they don't have the experience in real estate, but they're really, really good at keeping things organized and they're really good at running somebody else's vision. It's like, who do you know that's like that, that maybe would get some value or benefit from somebody who's really, really good at marketing, at pitching, at sales, who's got a big, big vision and really needs a partner who can operate and run that. And so if anyone's listening and you happen to be that, please reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn or Facebook. You can just find me, Stephen Pesavento, and obviously it'll be in the show notes. But when you put this out into the world, all of a sudden other people will say, hey, I actually know somebody that's exactly like that and great things can happen. That's right. And I always tell people, I'm like, look, guys, if you don't tell people that you're looking, no one is going to know that you are even looking for a partner. But it's not just about saying that you're looking. It's about exactly what you just said. It's not just saying, hey, I'm looking, but it's saying, here's what I'm good at. I'm good at this, 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 and that. Know anyone who might be interested. Maybe it's you, maybe it's not. But it's like telling people who you are, what you're good at, and that you're even looking for a partner. And I think that's the that's the thing. And I, you know, Annie, you know, when we first met, that's what I had told you. And I said, here's what I'm good at. And you know, you told me what you were good at. And that's you know, you're like, hey, well, this might be you know be a good opportunity. So I love that because I think that's important for everyone because I hear it so often. They're saying they're looking for partners. They're looking for partners. I can't find one. It's like, are you asking anyone? Like, are you telling anybody that this is what you want? So I love that. Um, great tips. So tell us more about how you actually did the first flip. It was alongside this this partner yes. that you did and you learned what you learned in that three to six months and then you ventured off and did your own or what did that look like? Oh no, great follow-up question. So I shadowed this person start to finish, was not a part of that deal, not an owner, but I was a part of 
all the selection of everything. This person subbed out every contractor, part of those conversations, overhearing and listening. So I started to learn uh, the, the pieces and what ended up coming together. But when I actually got started, really, where it started for me was at my unique ability. So mm-hmm. I was marketing direct to seller for deals. We started sending um, you know, letters, direct mail in this case. Uh, in the first two years, I had spent over a million dollars on marketing. So I definitely learned Ooh. a thing or two about you know, going direct to seller and what it takes to go and find people who have motivation and how to communicate to them. It's just called direct response marketing. It's the same thing people do online, but they've been doing it via mail for mm-hmm. many, many years. And so yeah. what we did was... I went out and found a list of potential folks that matched the type of profile of somebody I was looking for. We started mailing them, but it takes time with direct mail. It can take three, six mm-hmm. months. So like, mm-hmm. well, you're going to start getting uh, an answer much quicker. But the key there for me, the key to us getting that first deal was knowing what volume I was going to do it at. I needed to make sure that without a doubt, within 30 to 60 days, I was going to have a deal. So mm-hmm. I learned very quickly early on that if I don't do enough, it's a gamble on whether it's going to work. So we mm-hmm. ramped up our marketing and I jumped on the phones. I started cold calling people. I had you know, bought this list. And what ended up coming out of it was we got this amazing, amazing deal under contract. It was so amazing that it only made us $4,500, which is not <laughs> anything. It took nearly two months to sell. It was a complete junk deal. Um, but... It was that first aha moment of me being able to say, um, this works and I can do it. Because what had happened was I was I was borrowing somebody else's belief, as I call it. I borrowed someone's belief that this is possible. I see other people doing it. I'm borrowing it. I, you know, I've, I've, I've been running around with it for a while and now I'm able to actually own it. I'm able to say, this is true. I can do this. And what's great is because of the volume we were doing it at, while that deal was closing, I also had seven other deals in the pipeline. So the first flip that I actually did was the first mm-hmm. of five flips that were all going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was where my responsibilities ended per se was once we closed on the deal. And of course I was a part of it and part of bidding things out, but my partner managed the part of the business that he was the best at. And I would fly mm-hmm. out to North Carolina and do marketing. I'd go and do Facebook lives and, you know, speak to our investors and things like that. And at the end of the deal, you know, we would, you know, we would put the property on the market and sell it. And, you know, thank goodness the first one that sold, we made money and I was able to say, yep, the first flip was a success. But mm-hmm. between one and 200, of course, we had some losses. And those are where I think you end up learning the most. I love that. I feel like 4,500 on your first deal, it's like not a big win like monetarily, but it's like it, what it does is it buys you that belief, you know? And it's like, oh my God, whether you made $1 or $4,500, it's like it buys you that belief. At least it was in the positive and not the negative, but it bought you the belief that you can do it. And, and you know, Tony Robbins has his belief around the success cycle and the belief that mm-hmm. you can do it is really where it starts because that really is what, you know, puts into action all the other things that you're going to do to make things happen and then so on and so forth. And so, um, so I love that. I feel like it was, it was totally a win because, um, oh, totally. you know, <laughs> had you not made the $4,500, then maybe that would have scared you and you never would do another deal or something. I don't know, you know? Um, so I love that. I had decided oh, that I was going to do it no matter what. So at that point it was just like, I have got to keep my head down, just yeah. keep grinding and cranking. Yeah. But like without having that win, you're always questioning yourself. You're always yeah. asking like, is totally. this really going to work? Am I going yeah. in the right direction? Am I capable yeah. of this? So mm-hmm. I want to dig in there for a second because you're spending, I imagine, hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars sending out this, all of this mail, right? And as you said, it, you probably didn't hear back right away. So you probably, the, the wheels are spinning in your head and you're doubting yourself. How long was it before you started hearing back and how much money had you spent at that point? Yeah, so it's a great point and this will just take me a second to outline it, but I think it's a good uh, illustration of how quickly things can happen, but also how long it can take, right? So I made the decision that I was going to go into real estate hardcore full-time at the beginning of June. I went to my first real estate event and I made that offer and I went and walked the property with her on July 3rd. I then, between that time, had made 90 offers in less than eight weeks, 
on the MLS. I didn't get any of those. Well, I did get two of them under contract, but they're really bad deals. I learned a lot along the way. I sent out some direct mail, 3,000 letters um, to folks and only got 12 phone calls. And that's when I decided I needed to market out of state. And that's when I stopped doing business in California. And so it was between November of that year and uh, January, middle of January, that I was focused on North Carolina. So I was sending mail November, December, and January. And I had this property under contract from mid-December all the way through the end of January. So it was almost two months of me struggling and grinding to try to find somebody to buy this thing to prove that it was a good deal, that we could make money. And But during this time, we're sending 15,000 mailers a month. So that's about $6,000 a month. And I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't have any money. Remember, before, in a previous time, I'd used Airbnb as a tool to fund my business. Well, at this time, we were, me and my roommate were both leaving for a week to two out of every month so that we could rent the place to uh, you know, bring in money. So I didn't have any funds, but I had the belief, I had the faith that it was going to work. Mm-hmm. So it was worth it for me to put it on the credit card, to take a little bit of risk. And then when it finally paid off, it was just a confirmation that it really can work. So you can see that, you know, July all the way until January, it's a good chunk of time of being full in, working 60, 80, 100 hours a week, doing nothing but real estate, obsessing about it. But then things can happen and you can see how quickly uh, my trajectory was. So um, what I share with the listeners is you just got to not give up. You got to just keep on trying different things because if I would have just stayed focused on California, I probably would have burnt out or I would have needed more money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, just some big takeaways there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's in that moment that you decide that you're going to do something is in, is the thing that allows you to not give up. Right. It, and it was like, like when I first got into it too, it was like, I, I this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this. And it doesn't matter what hurdles you face and what comes up, you're going to continue along until you find a way. And that's, that's what you need to do. And especially in real estate, I feel like you've got to have that persistence and that drive because there are going to be so many obstacles that come up along the way that are going to try to make you think that this is not for you. And only the people who are, you know, 150% committed to this are the ones who are going to see that success at the end of the day. Totally true. I can only imagine. I mean, you started in June and then by July 3rd, you know, you were fully in it, but that wasn't like July 3rd wasn't like, Ooh, you, you finished the flip. You sold the house, right? It was like you were making tons of offers, 90 offers in eight weeks. I mean, a lot of people would have quit after the 10th offer, the 15th offer, the 20th offer, but you kept going and going. And then the with same with the mailers, you sent them out. Maybe didn't hear anything back. You spent thousands of dollars. You were Airbnb in your place. Like, I want people to hear, know, like, this is, this is the day to day grind that a lot of us go through to get to the point where now you're on the podcast. Now you're sharing your story. Now mm-hmm. you've got tons of followers and all of this success, but it didn't come before you put in that effort and the grind to get there. And so that's an incredible, incredible story. So I want to go back to something that you had said, which was you had made all these offers and a lot of them were on MLS. Now to our listeners, a lot of them might be thinking, oh my gosh, this direct mail thing. I want to do a flip, but I don't have time to do all these letters and answer all these phone calls. Why can't I just go on the MLS find something that's listed, that's probably a dump, make an offer on that and just buy that? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, you can do anything you want and it's totally possible for you to find deals on the MLS. But what I will say is that if everyone is looking in one section of you know the different channels that you can find deals, if everyone's looking over here and this is the easiest place to look and this is the place that everyone has access to, mm-hmm. then... Uh, of course, it's also going to be one of the harder places to find good opportunities. And so depending on where you're at in the market cycle, depending on where things are at from a consumer sentiment standpoint, uh, when I was getting started, things were hot. Things are really, really hot. They're hot now. They were extremely hot back then. And people, everyone and their mom wanted to get into real estate. And so 
you know, you end up having to find new creative ways to go after and find these opportunities. And what I'll tell you is what worked two years ago or three years ago on the direct mail side, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I used to get a two or 3% uh, response rate, meaning two to 3% of people would call me. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. they're interested. That just means they call, they, they picked up the phone to call. They could be telling me to go pound sand, but we track that rate. And now we're at a quarter percent to a half a percent. Oof. And I'm talking in Raleigh, North Carolina, where, uh, the market is not quite as competitive as, you know, the Bay area or Southern California. So the point being is you just got to continue to move with the cheese, as they say, you got to mm-hmm. continue to focus on where's that next opportunity. And mm-hmm. uh, it's true in every industry. And I'm sure people are feeling it in multifamily as well, because, you mm-hmm. know, people are like, well, there's, there's just no deals. Well, people mm-hmm. were saying there was no deals when I got started and I found 200 deals. So you can mm-hmm. find the deal. You just got to get creative and find new ways and new places to go find those. And so if you're just getting started, I would pick one strategy one strategy and work on getting good at it and follow a mentor or coach or somebody that's close to you who can show you uh, how to do it and just model what they're doing and go and do it. But do it long enough to know that you, that the strategy was failing, not you were failing at executing the strategy. I love that. That's such an important thing for people to remember because I think all too often people get into stuff and they're like, oh man, this isn't working. And you know, they just kind of give up before, right before they're about to see that success beyond uh, what's in front of them. So I love that. Um, I did want to ask about your transition because if anybody, because I know, I know a couple of flippers out there who, uh, you know, look at flipping and they say, man, you know, this is like a, a job, you know, I left one job and now I've got another job and it's a, it's a hard, busy, full-time hustle job. You're always out there working hard. So now you're transitioning away from that. If anybody out there is listening and they've been a flipper for a while and they're trying to figure out how do I make the move away from that, what tips do you have for them? Well, one tip I would have is definitely reach out to me. Happy to share any resources or pass you along things that have been helpful to me. But one of the things I want to be clear about is like flipping is a job. It's an active way mm-hmm. to invest in real estate. Even if I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm transitioning to commercial multifamily, uh, raising capital, asset management, acquisition. Um, mm-hmm. These are all active responsibilities. Like if you're going to actively manage those properties, it mm-hmm. is going to be active as well. So when I got into flipping, I knew it was a job, but I knew it was a job that has a potential to pay a lot of money. So after a while of you working and making that good money, you start realizing the risk profile is changing in the asset class. And so Mm -hmm. therefore it's an opportunity for me to change with it. And I also learned a lot about my risk profile. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty aggressive, go after it type of person. And so Mm -hmm. I like to keep people around me who keep me, um, you know, extra conservative, but as I was going out and doing this activity, I realized that I'm actually much more conservative than I thought. I don't Mm -hmm. like losing money and Mm -hmm. I have lost money and my (laughs) investors fortunately haven't because of the way we structure our deals. Mm -hmm. Um, They always got paid out and they always did well. But um, the the interesting thing about is you learn a lot about yourself. And so for those people who are interested in making the transition or maybe even starting from scratch, The biggest Mm -hmm. thing is start surrounding yourself with other people who are doing it. Because when you're Mm -hmm. starting anything, you've got to go on, go out and find some other people's belief to borrow, right? You go and Mm -hmm. find some people who are doing what you want to do and you get close to them. And that could be close to them because you're listening to their podcast or you're you're listening to the investor mindsets. You're hearing all these people coming through and you're kind of adopting their belief. You know, the next step I think is uh, finding a way to get active and involved with those people. How can you add value to the world? Can you refer investors their way? Can you, you know, refer coaching clients their way? A lot of folks, you know, are happy to share some of their experience, but they want to make sure people pay the ticket price that they're going to be committed to taking action because it's not even about the money for most coaches. It's about making sure that they get that significance and satisfaction of somebody Mm -hmm. actually doing something with the knowledge. And sometimes paying money up front is what it takes to do that. So I'd recommend spend a little bit of money and show other people that you're committed and willing to do that. And, you know, I think another great option is to invest alongside other people. You know, I've got Mm -hmm. um, a ton of folks that I've been working with on the single family side. I've raised 
you know, tens of millions of dollars and had a lot of success there. And all mm-hmm. of those people trust me to go out mm-hmm. and find great opportunities for them, even if it's not in single family. So, mm-hmm. you know, my philosophy has always been to partner with people. So now I'm partnering with folks on the, sing- on, on the multifamily front and mm-hmm. bringing this value to the table. Um, and I would recommend you guys find a way to bring value to other people so that you can mm-hmm. get that same kind of, uh, you know, those lessons learned. So valuable. So valuable. I love, I love all of that. And I love what you keep saying about find someone else's belief to borrow. I wrote that down and underlined it because it's so powerful. You said it earlier in the show too. And I think, you know, if you don't have that belief in yourself and you don't know if you can do it, go out there and borrow somebody's, okay? Because there's a lot of people out there who believe they can do whatever it is you want to do. I guarantee it. And uh, if you can borrow it, so to speak, as Stephen has said, I think that, um, you know, it can get you to places that you never imagined. So I love that. I love that phrase. And I will, uh, I will remember that. I'm actually going to put that on my vision board. I like that. And I'll put a little dash Stephen, Stephen P. So I can remember that. Okay. Should we move into the investing for good impact round? Let's do it. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. So the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are allowing you to live a better life? Yeah. I mean, this is great because my whole philosophy is all about how can I live a better life and inspire other people to live a better life yeah. as well. So mm-hmm. everything that I do really comes back down to that philosophy. And so, you know, I'm investing first in myself in my own mm-hmm. mindset, my own beliefs, and my own strategies and tactics that are going to help bring me forward. I spend probably most more time than most consuming and soaking in information that I then can apply out in the world. So yeah. whenever I'm investing, I first invest in myself, and then I'm making those financial investments to set myself up for that long-term ability to be able to take time mm-hmm. off, to be able to go on vacation, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to work really, really hard at something, you know, mm-hmm. throw yourself into something that you're passionate about, but then give yourself the ability to be able to pull yourself out so that you can recharge and refresh. So you can go back at it again whenever you want. Remembering to give yourself the space and the time to refresh and recharge is something that I'm still working on because I'm a go, 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 150% work all the time. Uh, and it's not uh, the most optimal way for me to work. So I love that. Um, cool. Okay. Second question is investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or hack that you might be able to share with the listeners that will help them catapult their investing journey? Yeah. So it's such a good question, right? So I run the podcast, The Investor Mindset. So I happen to have had an opportunity to really dive into how people think, what those thoughts and beliefs are and how it's led to the action they take. And after interviewing hundreds of investors, you know, people like Chris Voss and Joe Fairless and, uh, you know, Jay Papazan and all these really smart people, what I was able to pull together was these five key principles, these five things, these thoughts, these beliefs, these actions that they're taking in their life every single day. And I'll share one of them with you. And then I'll recommend that you go check out the ebook that we put together that just summarizing all this. You can just pick that up for free at the investormindset.com slash principles. But one of those pieces is to get ultra focused, right? Mm-hmm. So the best investors, in my opinion, and in the opinion of you know the hundreds of people that I've uh, invested with, is that they f- they focus on one strategy until they're successful with it. Mm-hmm. That might mean they try a few different things and they dabble, but they clear the plate and they focus on doing one thing and doing it really really well, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. that means if you happen to be that person at the real estate investor event and you're saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about flipping houses," and I was actually looking at a storage deal, and I'm looking at multifamily, and I'm thinking about passive, and I'm thinking about active cool. We've all been there, but stop doing that right now. Change it up. Pick one thing. It doesn't matter what you pick. It's more important that you pick something and then start taking action on that. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is principle two is get really, really clear on what you want and why you want it, because then you can clearly define a path, the how you can clearly define a path of how you're going to get there and take those steps on a regular basis. So, you know, we've put together this awesome ebook. It's like 20 pages. It's beautiful. And you guys will be able to soak this up really, really easy at the investormindset.com slash principles. 
Awesome. Cool. Love that. Okay. Last question, investing in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Yeah. I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, I think one of the things that we're doing really, really well is the Investor Mindset Podcast. And one of the reasons that I think it's really making a big difference in the world is because when I remember when I was getting started, um, you know, I was soaking up every single book that I possibly could. That first year I read 75 books or listened to 75 books. Now, of course, you can't retain all of that, but you retain the stuff that's important at the time. And I listened to thousands of podcast episodes, you know, the bigger pockets was just nonstop in my ear. And I think when people have the ability to listen to really, really smart people, have a conversation that's designed at a level where they can soak it in and they're, somebody's asking the questions that they would want to have asked, you're able to really take in some of those beliefs. And so I keep talking about this idea of borrowing someone else's belief. Well, the more that you can spend time listening and soaking in these things, especially if you're coming from a place that you don't believe that it's possible for you to go do these things, um, it can make big changes happen. So I'm grateful to be able to inspire others, to inspire others, to live a better life through the investor mindset and Mm -hmm. all of the great people that we get to have on. And I look forward to having you guys on here soon. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. We're looking forward to it too. Yeah. You know, podcasts, Oh man, that when I first got into all of this, I was consuming probably 40 to 60 hours a month of podcasts because I had to commute three hours a day. <laughs> and so it was just, you know, but is the value that you get out of all of that. And now I know what I was doing in those 40 to 60 hours um, a month as I was borrowing somebody else's belief that I could do it. And that was what set me off on my trajectory. So I love all of that. Well, Stephen, you are such a wealth of knowledge and such an inspiration. And so if our listeners might want to borrow your beliefs or to learn more about you, what's the best place that they can go? I highly recommend you guys go search The Investor Mindset on your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button. Go check us out. Um, great place to do it. The other place I really want to point you towards those five key principles of a su- successful investor which you, again, you can find at theinvestormindset.com slash principles. And if you're interested in investing with us, dive in there first, get to know us, start listening and hearing and understanding the philosophy and the way that we think and the, the way that we act and then respond back and let us know that you're interested. Um, and uh, you can always find us on all of the social media platforms. So I'll encourage you to take some action and follow up and let me know what you thought of this and what was valuable for you and what you put into, uh, into action. I love all of that. And I just want to note that if you guys caught what he did, he was serving you first. He wasn't saying, if you're interested in investing with us, come sign up on my website and I'll get back to you. He said, come get to know us because in what we do as investors and as operators, that's what you need to do is get to know people first. And Stephen just told you, he didn't say, he didn't lead with his handout. He's asking you to come get to know him. So Stephen Pesavento, host of the Investor Mindset Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us, Stephen. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb.